0: Hello and welcome to the Education Redefined webcast series, where I uncover educational best practices and share success stories with every single episode. Go ahead, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and enjoy a few moments talking about teaching and learning with me. Hi, my name is Sandhya Lakhampal and I am your host for this series. Subscribe to our webcast or look out for new episodes on YouTube join our Facebook group for the latest trends in the field of education. In this week's episode, the spotlight is on Angelica Medrano. Angelica has over 15 years of experience in special education and holds a teaching certification in special education and English as a second language. She began teaching as a special education teacher at Hamilton Middle School in the Houston Heights. After a few years of teaching, she moved to a district-wide position in special ed. During her career, Angelica provided extensive training in areas such as the ARD and IEP process, effective instructional strategies, inclusive practices, learning disabilities, and universal design for learning. She worked directly with students, parents, teachers, and administrators. Angelica is a member of COPA. Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates. Utilizing her experience and knowledge of the education system and student learning disabilities, Angelica believes in advocating for the best education for your child. She decided to leave public education to work directly with parents and students. Her goal is to set children up for success in school. The process should not be overwhelming or time consuming. As someone who has attended ARD meetings, In many different roles, she understands that no one should sit in meetings that last hours and have no resolution. She works efficiently and effectively to ensure every child receives the appropriate services and supports. In this episode, Angelica talks about the nuances of navigating the school system, importance of advocating for your child, what to do if you need assistance in speaking with the school, significance of teaching children to advocate for themselves, and much more. She also offers free parent resources and is willing to work one-on-one with you and your child. Check out eduprepspace.com or join the Facebook community for more information. So without further ado, I welcome Angelica Medrano. Uh, Thank you for coming and speaking with me on this uh, podcast series, Education Redefined. I'm so glad to have you here for our listeners.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited.
0: Thank you so Angelica I know you and I have gone back and forth and and introduced ourselves to each other, but for the sake of the listeners, could you walk us through a little bit of your journey. On how you came upon this calling of of, you know, working with parents who have children with special special needs and then advocating for them consulting with them and even offering tutoring services through your agency.
1: So my journey started, um, I worked for a large public school district in the Houston area, and I was with the district for about, um, I want to say 13 years. I started off as a special education teacher. Um, actually at the middle school that I attended as a middle school student myself. So I started my teaching career there. Um, after a few years, I moved up to the district level and I was able to see all the programs in special education from early childhood all the way through high school. So I was able to get that district perspective and able to work with a variety of grade levels and programs. And in my journey through that, I realized that there is a big need for parents. So, so my job at the district was I would get a lot of the phone calls from the parents if there was any issues occurring at one of the campuses that I supported. And so I was constantly hearing some of the, the concerns that parents had or some of the problems that were encountering. And my job was to help the school and the, and the parent, you know, come to a resolution, help the school address any of the issues that were happening. And in just you know, being in public education for many years and special education, I finally just realized that the best way for me to really impact families was to give them that guidance because special education and public education, they are so you know, it's it's so there's so many parts to it, special education can be overwhelming, especially when you start getting into laws, policies, procedures, what The school districts are doing to it you know to cover each one of those it's very overwhelming and that's one thing that i found from the parents a lot of them didn't know how to even start the process for special education a lot of them had you know just questions along the way that sometimes the schools were not doing a good job of answering so i finally decided that it was best for me to leave the district and work directly with the families and that is how i ended up leaving and just starting the business on my own as an educational advocate and consultant. So I've now worked directly with those families. Awesome, awesome. And you've been, been doing
0: this for a couple of years now. So this is, uh, you know, how how many years? Has it been a decade already that you've been working with uh, parents?
1: So it's actually been, um, you know, when I was with the district at, at the, towards the end, it has been about 10 years total that I've been working directly with the families. But um, business-wise, I am going on my fourth year that I just, I work directly with the families.
0: Awesome, awesome. And and you mentioned the types of concerns, right? The parents came with a lot of concerns. Cause, so, so that's one of my questions. What are some of the types of concerns that you hear from parents? Um, obviously when, you know, it, the, the, the moment of the diagnosis, that's the most overwhelming emotional um, time for a parent to find out, hey, this is what my child has, or this is what my child is struggling with. But what are some of the diverse concerns that you hear Hear from parents?
1: So, when um, typically when parents reach out to me as an advocate, They, there's a variety of questions that they have, and there's different, you know, concerns or different things that are going on. One of those is, um, those initials you know, we got an initial evaluation, now we have a diagnosis, now what? Like, what do we do from here? And so, that's been one of the things that I have worked on. Okay, so let's go through that report, let's make sure that parents understand it because school districts are supposed to review that report with parents. Some do a really good job, you know, some schools do a great job of sitting with them, answering all the questions, others, you know, sort of some it and sometimes parents feel like well you're the expert you're the school you're the district you know what you know this better than I do I'm gonna trust that you are giving me accurate information you're giving me the the best possible plan for my child but what what ends up happening is that that's not always the case so sometimes you know, parents aren't getting all of the information, they're not understanding all the components of the evaluation or what um, a plan should include for their child. So that has been one of the, I think the biggest concerns for parents. Once I have an eligibility or a diagnosis, what now? What are the next steps? And for most parents, they wanna make sure from the start that there is a good plan in place. I always say early intervention is best. So if we can have that, evaluation completed in the earlier years you know the earlier the better of course sometimes things happen and things get delayed sometimes you know we don't realize that students are struggling until later and i tell parents that that's okay you know we have an evaluation now let's go from there and again my my priority is making sure that the student is going to be successful in school so making sure that that plan and the supports and services that are being provided are the appropriate ones for that student for their individual needs and it's always looking at the individual child and what they need from the school from the teacher from the different um, service providers right right and you mentioned um, there's so
0: much that goes into the paperwork right that that they get not just with the diagnosis but even the, the final paperwork that the school adds in the legal jargon the the special ed terminology right so I want to back back up a little bit. Um, For the sake of the audience, can you um, explain a little bit of so some of the terminology that I've heard in terms of special education or dyslexia is IEP and ARD meeting, 504. Can you just go maybe in one line summarize for us what these terms mean?
1: So um, we'll start with 504 because that's, that's one of the biggest questions I get. What is the difference between 504 and special education? So it is just two different programs. Um, 504 is under the um, Americans with Disability Act. It protects, um, you know, everyone from discrimination. So in a school setting, that means that it's protecting the child, the student, from discrimination because they have a disability. Typically, with the 504 plan, you're going to get accommodations just to ensure that the child has the same access to the curriculum as their peers. Now, when we get into special education, now we're looking at that IEP and so yes again in special education we start throwing out all these you know different acronyms and parents are like what are what do all these things mean so an IEP is an individualized education plan some states call it an individualized um, education program but it's typically the same thing it's going to be the plan for that child and it should be again focuses that individualized piece so it has to be a program or plan specific to that child and their needs. So that is what the IEP is, the plan for that child. The ARD, um, it's mostly used, um, I'm not sure about outside of Texas, but ARD, that's that's a common acronym in Texas. So ARD stands for Admission Review and Dismissal. That's just the meeting. Some states will just call it the IEP meeting or the IEP committee. In Texas, we call it the ARD. But when you go outside of Texas, it's going to be um, just the meeting that's held to discuss that individualized plan for a student.
0: And is is there like a set frequency on the number of times this meeting takes place or is it as needed um, and can be multiple times a year?
1: So for the ARD meeting or the IEP plan, um, they have to meet once a year. So law says at least once a year, parents and the committee have to sit down and review the plan. But parents can call an art at any time, or the school can call an art at any time. So just depending on if you know there's concerns with progress or maybe um, additional services are needed, an art committee can an art committee can reconvene at any time. But it has to be at least once a year. Okay, so at
0: a very minimum, but can go higher than that one once yeah. a year okay um so uh, i want to ask you let's let's start at the very beginning right we have the diagnosis and then um you know that's in a lot of cases that becomes a relief when you realize why your child is is struggling it's emotional it's overwhelming but it's also a sense of relief and then come with that comes the intervention piece the accommodations piece right so let's say um you know this this paperwork the iep paperwork has been given uh, to a parent how do you ensure the effectiveness of these interventions that are detailed out in an iep which to a person who's as novice as i am would probably not understand
1: so one thing that um that i do before we go into an art meeting because typically that's when when what parents are hiring me for. They're hiring me to go with them to these meetings and just to make sure that they have someone there supporting them, answering their questions. Again, it's a very emotional process for parents, and I tell them, "You are the parent. Yes, this is going to be emotional. We're talking about your child." i can sit there like my job is to listen to the plan you know sort of take the emotions out of it so that i can make sure that we are accurately coming up with a plan that works for your child because a lot of times you know i tears happen it's you know it it happens it's it's and i and i understand it i'm a parent it's it's emotional but i tell parents you know when we're going through that plan i want the parent to understand so we go through it before the art We cover any questions that a parent has ahead of time, and I should be able to answer it for the parent based on the draft that the school is providing for me. If there are times when I'm not even sure what they're asking, that's something that we're going to ask in the ARD meeting. Can you clarify? You know, we weren't sure what this means. And when we're going through that plan, I tell parents, any person that picks up this piece of paper should be able to understand what your child's going to receive and how it's going to be received. If it's confusing, if we're not sure if you don't know what some of the things mean in there then that you know that's going to be a red flag that maybe we need to go back and clarify some things because i always tell parents things happen you can move to a different school you may move to a different district you want to make sure that the next person is going to understand every part of that plan so that is something that we make sure um during the R meeting that everything is understood it's clear everyone knows the plan and knows how to implement it now one of the things that We that I will ensure in terms of the effectiveness of an IEP is data. So once we have an IEP in place, the only way to determine effectiveness is by asking the school for data and having them show us what they've done to come up with that progress. How did you measure that? How did they look? Do you have samples of the work when you have a school? That's not able to provide that. That's also a red flag. You know, just saying, oh, they're doing great. Oh, they're making progress. Well, we want to see what that progress is because progress can be now they they're reading on grade level, but progress can also be now they are able to read you know, we've gone from sentences to paragraphs. It just depends. So we wanna make sure that we understand what that data is that they're using so that we can also, you know, I can help the family say, okay, is this enough progress? Is this appropriate for your child? And we use the data in order to come up with that.
0: Okay, wonderful, wonderful. So, um, so again, and, and I, I, I'm I really grateful that you brought up moving from one district to another because from, from my understanding and from your conversation, the supports, the intervention, the IEP um, should be the same irrespective of which uh, which school district, which school you are in. Right. So if I were to move from Dallas to, to Austin to Houston, my, the supports that are being offered to this child should look the same, which also means that the interventions should be in line with the supports that are that are being given. Um, how, how many times do you encounter an example of when You know you've you've gone and seen the IEP and you've seen the interventions and you see a loophole in those interventions and there's probably the school has not identified. The right number of interventions or the right type of interventions, how can you give me an example of where you found a loophole on an intervention strategy that should have been offered to a child and wasn't and how you worked your way through that.
1: So one of the um, things that I've seen most often in, in just the recent, in the past year has been um, with writing. So a lot of times I'll see throughout the paperwork, you know, over the years that there's, the child has struggled with writing and that keeps coming up. You know, they're struggling with writing. And one of the things that that I've asked is, you know, the parents will tell me like, I see that they're not holding their pencil correctly, or I have, you know, their handwriting is really bad. And, you know, they just kind of, the the art addresses it like, oh, we're gonna keep working on the handwriting. Well, one of the things that I will ask is, have we considered occupational therapy? Has an occupational therapist come in to, you know, to observe the child themselves and see if there is more to it? So that's been one of the things that that has been um, in the. It's been a common occurrence in, in the last few arts, especially with my younger students, like my first graders and second graders. I think that sometimes gets missed because. Sometimes teachers are like, oh, they just have messy handwriting or oh, all all of them have, you know, they're still working on handwriting. So I think that's one of the things that we've been able to catch a few times where we ask for the occupational therapist to come in and we've been able to actually get an evaluation then and say, oh, okay, this child actually does qualify for services and we can actually put that into the plan so that we can start addressing that deficit in handwriting.
0: Cool, cool. And I think what it it ties back is that a lot of times there is coexistence of conditions, right? So, for example, the initial diagnosis might have been dyslexia, but then you're talking about that that dysgraphia piece that gets added to it or a speech piece that gets added to it. And they need interventions in those areas for them to be able to compensate and have that holistic development that the child needs to have so I'm, I'm really i'm really glad to hear that you can you can hear that as you're going through the interventions you can see those loopholes and you can say okay well not just identify the loopholes but make recommendations on here's where additional testing is required here's where additional support is required. Um, so can you walk me through um, what an ARD meeting looks like, what are the expectations during an ARD meeting and uh, why might an ARD, why might a parent need support during an ARD meeting.
1: So art meetings, you know, depending on why they are having the meeting, they can vary. But if we're looking at just a, an annual art meeting where we're discussing the, the progress for the year, it's time to discuss the, the goals that were in place, was there progress and come up with new goals. we They typically should be the same. They should be looking at present levels. Where's this child now? And that's one key piece that I tell parents. I I need your input too. What are you seeing at home? I think sometimes schools forget that piece to include the parent. So that's the first thing I tell parents when we start. You are a member of the art committee. You are a very important member of the art committee and your input is valuable. Don't feel like because this is school and you're not at school with them that your input, you know, isn't going to matter. It does because what you see at home or the things that you're experiencing, you know, sometimes parents will say well, I see this during homework or this strategy works at home. That's valuable information to the school as well. So I always tell parents your input is very valuable. We want to make sure that you're providing information Any questions, any concerns that the art committee is listening to you. So I typically like to um, start with that piece. And most schools, most schools will start the art committee or sorry, the art meeting by asking the parent, do you have questions? Do you have any concerns? What would you like to share with the, with the committee today? And that's typically the best way to start is starting with the parent concerns and the questions. And then as you go through that meeting, again, you start with present levels. You're looking at all the data because that's going to drive whether this child has mastered these goals that we had in place, whether we need to come up with new ones, whether we need to go back and tweak some things, Um, were there any, was there any um, decline in in progress? So did, did we regress in any areas? What could have caused that? Do we need to look at anything additional? So again, that art should be driven by data. Everything that you're addressing in that meeting, it's all based on the data that the teachers have collected. Again, evaluations only happen every three years. So you're typically reviewing the same evaluation information until you have a new evaluation, which would be it's every three years. But parents can request one. Um, It's once a year you're able to request a new evaluation. Um, But again, it's it's going through the data, those present levels. I think the biggest piece for the art is present levels. Where is that student currently functioning? today that we are meeting at you know that we're at at this art meeting what is that present
0: level do they also set up goals at the art meeting so you know where should the child be or where should the child go from here towards the end of the year let's say the art meeting takes place at the beginning of the year do they set up goals on how much progress they should expect to see by the end of the year
1: Yes, so we should be tying those goals to the areas that were um, found in the evaluation. So depending on what their disability is, depending on what the evaluation said and what teachers are saying that they're they're seeing in the classroom. We tie all of that together to come up with these goals. So, for example, if it's a student that has a learning disability in reading, we're looking at what were the, the, the deficit areas from the evaluation. And then that's how we base our goals. So if the teacher says, well, you know, the student is currently, you know, he's a second grader, but we're still reading at kindergarten level. And so that could be a goal, you know, let's what are we gonna do to help this child catch up to grade level? And that's how the, the committee should be writing those goals so that you have something to work towards. And that's the purpose of that IEP. You wanna make sure that you are looking at the areas of need And that you have a plan in place because if we don't have a plan and we don't have goals i mean you just have some accommodations and some interventions that are in place but we have to make sure they're specific to the needs of the child and that we are targeting those areas of weaknesses that we saw in the evaluation awesome so you
0: mentioned a lot of parents feel the need at the beginning of the of the of the journey essentially right when the child gets identified and diagnosed um the The school system, you know, the needs of the child changes as the child goes from elementary to middle to high school and also from that initial diagnosis to the maintenance and and the goal setting changes year after year. How does your role change? How have you like I know the needs must be different from when they started out to when they are probably getting ready to um, to graduate? How does your role kind of transcend through that journey? Can you give me a few examples?
1: So one of the things that I do with the families that I've worked with for several years is, again, we're meeting every year. We're going through those goals. We're going through things that, you know, is there anything new that's going on? Sometimes, you know, parents will say, well, now we're having, you know, we're seeing these issues with, um, you know, homework. Like now, you know, they were never, um, you know, issues with homework. Now that we're in third grade, you know, it's just really hard. And, and you know, they're coming home and they're crying and it's a, it's, you know, a challenge to get the homework done. And so just some of those things that are coming up as the children are going through um, you know, their their educational years, some of those things will come up. And so then we start looking at, at that issue. Okay, so let's tell me what's going on. You know, and and when we have the conversation with the teacher, it may be that now we figure out, oh, it's they're really struggling with multiplication and it's just really hard. And so what are we going to do to help this child with that? That issue that wasn't there before, because now that we're in third grade, we're really working on that multiplication piece. And you know, sometimes teachers will say, Oh, well, we're gonna work a little bit more in small groups with them, or they'll say, You know, instead of doing the homework that I'm sending home, let's work on flashcards so that they are, you know, memorizing those multiplication facts, Um, or just different things like that. As they get older, um, again, in elementary, you know, the younger students are not testing for STAR. I'm not gonna get into the, the the whole, you know, should we test or not, but that is one piece of, of education. And so then as they get older, we are looking at accommodations for testing. You know, what does this child need now that they are going to start taking these, you know, steps, uh, state mandated tests? What are some accommodations that we can put in place for them? And then as they move through middle school and high school, we start looking more at those transition pieces. For elementary and, you know, I really, like to focus on that that academic piece because if a child is struggling let's say in reading we want to make sure that we're giving them as much support in elementary because it gets harder and harder as they get older if we're still you know not catching them up and then we're getting into middle school and now we're really behind because as we know you know middle school they're going to continue the curriculum they're not working on teaching the reading skills because that's something that you know should have been done in elementary. Yes, there there are resources available for students, but I try to make sure that we have a plan in place so that the child has all the supports that they need and we're not trying to, you know, then catch up by middle school. So for middle schoolers and high schoolers, again, we're looking at those transition pieces. What do they want to do once they finish high school? And I know that, you know, as a sixth grader, Parents are like, we just started middle school. We're, you know, that's so far in in, in the future, but it comes faster than, than we realize. Right. And we want to make sure that we have that plan already, at least some of the ideas of what the child wants to do. You know, are they thinking about college? Are they thinking about a community college? Are we thinking about some type of training or, you know, some type of um, supported employment? What are the things that are gonna, this child is going to need? So I think that conversation shifts a little bit more into making sure that we're really planning into the future and making sure that we are covering those pieces after high school, after they graduate. Versus when they're younger, we're really focusing on making sure that, you know, we're, we're sort of focusing on the day to day and, you know, from this year to next year. And as they get older, we're sort of looking further and further ahead to those future right. right. goals. Awesome. And, and so, so now you're going
0: from ad, um, teaching parents to advocate for their children to teaching kids to advocate for themselves. So can you talk a little bit about how you've or have you had a chance to work with with kids who are then going from high school to college? How have you prepped them for advocating for themselves? Because at that point, parents can't step in. They have to talk to their own professors. They have to go to their ADA uh, compliance office and, and talk to them about whatever accommodations they need. So can you talk to me about how you prep students for ha- for taking on that responsibility essentially.
1: So going back to when I first started teaching, my teaching experience was in middle school. So I always made sure that my students that were on my campus were invited to their art to their art meeting. A lot of times. Um, You know, I did have some parents that were a little hesitant to have the child in the meeting. Um, And I think because parents feel like I don't want them to feel bad. I don't want them to, you know, think that there's something wrong with them. But I actually feel the opposite. I feel that in empowering the child and letting them know, this is what this is what, what this diagnosis means. This is what dyslexia is. This is what ADHD is. It's not anything bad. We're just going to figure out what you need in order to learn in the classroom. And so as, when I was in the middle school, that's one thing I always did. I made sure that my students were part of their meeting. And I would tell them, this, we're, we're making this plan about you. What is it that you know, works for you in the classroom? and many times we got some really good information from the student things like well you know if if someone pulls me out i feel more comfortable going outside in the hallway and asking my question or if someone can help me you know in the hallway because especially in middle school students get very you know that they it's that, that social image and they think everyone's looking at them and everyone is trying to figure out what they're doing and so it's making sure that the child is comfortable with their accommodations in the classroom as well i had students that were like i don't like when people you know are are next to me and trying to help me, it really embarrasses me. And it's coming up with a, a plan that works for that student. Sometimes they would just be like, uh, you know, they could put their pencil to the side, and that was the the clue to the teacher, like I need help without having to raise their hand. And that's one thing that I always tell parents: like your child has to be a part of their plan. This is their plan. They need to understand what these accommodations are. And what works for them, because exactly what you said. When we get into college, when we're in the workforce, it is entirely up to you. Mom and dad are not going to be there to go to the office to figure out what help you need. It, it really has to come from, you know, they have to know what what they need, and they have to be able to understand how to obtain those services. So again, even now with the families that I work with, that for my older students, they are a part of the meeting. I will, you know, if if we're in the art, I will stop and ask the student, well, what's going on? What happened with that? Can you tell us, tell the committee why this happened or, or why you had trouble with you know this class? And just making sure that we are making the student a part of their art, because I think the more comfortable they get with it, with hearing these different terms and you know all the acronyms and understanding their accommodations. I think it's just an easier process for them once they finish high school so that they are able to advocate for themselves because that's truly the, the goal is for them to understand what they need and how to get those services for themselves. Exactly, and exactly. If you, if you don't speak up, you're not going to get the accommodations you need.
0: And that's just a simple human skill that any child needs, you know, special needs or or dyslexia aside, Every child needs that skill and a lot of in our school system really doesn't prep them for it. So it's it's really great to hear that you help them transition from because it's a big step. High school to college, it's a big jump, just like that elementary to middle and then middle to high school. You know, each of those phases have their unique needs. Now, I, I do want to call out that the name of your company is Edu uh, Prep Space. Um, and you set this up a couple years ago. Can you talk to me a little bit behind? I know you've talked about your mission, but what is the mission behind your company and uh, what does it seek to really deliver
1: so the the mission behind our company is we want to support families and students and that is the basic mission uh, that's that's our goal support families and students through their educational journey we do that through the advocacy the consulting and also the tutoring and with tutoring it's the same thing my tutors we build relationships with the students we want to make sure that they are that they love Learning. I don't want them to ever think that learning is hard or, you know, sometimes we get students where the parents tell us they hate school, like where they're crying every morning. It's, it's a battle and, and that really, you know, that's heartbreaking. It's, it's like, I, I don't want any child to ever not want to go to school or feel like they're not smart enough. That's another thing that that's very common that we hear oh it's because I'm dumb or I'm not smart or I can't read and so we really it's building that relationship with the families and building the relationship with our students because we have to make sure that our students are comfortable with this because that's the only way they're going to learn and be comfortable making mistakes and we explain we make mistakes and then we learn from them that's how we learn and it's okay and typically it's easier for them when we are in that one-to-one session because they're not in a classroom. And it's easier to say, I don't understand, I don't know. But again, the basic mission is supporting those families and our students in whatever, however that may look for the family. So that whole that whole support right it's not just
0: one component, not the advocacy not just the meetings it's it's all over, so do you have you had instances where you've had to refer parents outside of the school system or outside of of the Tutoring that you offer have you offered supports with other agencies, can you give me an example of that.
1: So one thing that we do offer for the families is I love collaborating with other professionals. Um, so I will reach out if I ever, you know, come across someone's um, social media and they have a particular program that I think may be beneficial to some of my students. I love making those connections. So I, may, I always seek out speech therapists, occupational therapists, different tutors, because we focus on reading and dyslexia but that's it. Sometimes I have parents who say, what about math or what? And I'm like, nope, <laughs> like I'm not that this is our this is what we do. And, and I don't want to branch out and add other things when, you know, we just want to focus on on the reading and the dyslexia pieces. So I do know other tutors and if they have needs that we, that we can't meet, I will gladly um, connect families with other related service. Um, service members. Um, another thing is, I also help families understand the difference between school therapy and private therapy. Because I tell families, sometimes we're getting speech therapy in school, and the parents are like, wow, I'm not seeing that, that progress, you know, as quickly. And I, you know, and we go through the the whole explanation of the difference between educational need, and then private therapies. And so I also have connected families with private speech therapist or physical therapist or occupational therapist, because sometimes the need goes beyond what the school can provide or what they're obligated to provide. So I I do that all the time. That's something that I make sure parents understand that I'm here to help you with what you need inside of the school but also outside as well and again I'll make those connections with these professionals so that I can give the parents you know here's a list of people that you can call and they can give you those additional services that we don't offer awesome it's great that you have these relationships that you can
0: refer out and and also to point out the fact that there are only a certain number of hours in school so there's only so much that that the school can do or the teacher can do and then teachers are also spread across the entire grade level right so you have kindergarten through fifth grade in elementary, or sixth through eighth grade in middle school, and they have so many caseloads, right? So, so yes, that extra support probably gives them that that extra push to to reach their goals. Um, so tell me about, without naming names, of course. Um, can you tell me about a success story where you have either helped a parent or a child that that jumps out out of your memory, and and that child just blossomed because of the support that you got for him or her
1: um uh, so i have i've had many different success stories just in terms of you know in different ways i've had i think the most common one has been where families tell me after an art meeting that you know we, we always debrief once we finish an art meeting i will we, we i talk to the family and i'm like what do you think how do you feel you know are you okay with the plan any questions and the most common answer i get is wow that was different once you have an advocate like now that you came with me that meeting was so different they never did that before so that has been one of the more common responses that i get from families in terms of they say that it's different when it when i attend the meeting with them and i tell them it's not me i don't have magical powers it's just because schools understand when an advocate is there which it shouldn't be this way but many times when an advocate is in a meeting they really take their time and kind of go through each piece of the meeting and we kind of slow down that pace sometimes because schools have like you said a large caseload you're sort of just going through the motion of art meeting after art meeting after art meeting and you're setting these you know 45 minutes or an hour sometimes that's not enough time if an advocate is there. They typically a lot more time and make sure that they go through each piece of it. So that has been one of the the more, more common um, success stories that parents have told me. Just the ter- just the fact that they feel okay now. They're like, I I feel like I understood everything. I felt like they heard me. I feel like I am. Um, a part of the committee and that we do have a good plan in place and now I'm not confused or overwhelmed um, or, you know, just upset at the end of a meeting. It's It's gone very well. And in terms of just success stories, I've had, um, you know, students that were in, in a classroom and just not being successful. And you know, just coming in and looking at all the the, the paperwork and the evaluations, and then making you know making that recommendation with the art committee of let's try something different. Like, have we thought about this? Um, and then once we put that in place, I mean, I've even had schools that say, oh, we we hadn't thought about that, or you know, that's not something that we had had ever done before. Um, so it's coming up with with a plan as a team. You know, it is a team effort, and, and sometimes schools are seeing these over and over that they just get locked into that box and they can't think outside the box. And so I'm able to come in and say, because of my experience and because I've been able to work with so many students and so many schools and so many districts, I'm able to see what is done in other places and able to bring that to a a school that maybe hadn't had that experience before, hadn't thought about that. So um, that has been one thing that that just, you know, with several students that I can think of where once those appropriate services were put in place, parents are like, oh wow, like completely different child. They love school. We're not having tears in the morning. I'm not getting phone calls from the from the teacher saying that this is happening. It's, you know, it's really changed the situation, you know, for the family and for the school. And that's just because now we have what the child needs in place. And that's, you know, what we needed all
0: along. Right, right. And that's amazing. And I think I wanna point out You brought up that umbrella view that you have when you're dealing with different school districts, so you know that there are other resources and you are able to do that out of the box thinking. Also, the fact that you speak the language right because that itself can be overwhelming for a parent right here, I am as a parent I might be stuck on what's an IEP what's a 504 what's what's an art and teachers just rattle those acronyms off and I am lost in that in that jargon while they've already gone on to accommodations and interventions and covering data and they've lost me as a parent at that point so it's really great to have you as a support for that so thank you so much angelica for covering such a diverse um, set of topics with me uh if somebody wanted to find you consult with you where can they find you and how can they engage your services
1: so um we do have our, our website which is edu then prepspace.com. We are on Facebook and Instagram and same thing. It's the edu prep space. They can find us on those. All of our contact information is there. It has our phone number and our email and parents can either call us, text us, or email us, message us, send us a message on Facebook or Instagram and we will you know, answer the parent back as soon as possible awesome awesome and i do want to point out that you do
0: consult even if they don't have an iep or an art and they suspect that there's a disability they can just reach out and ask for advice right
1: yes that is that is one and i do have families that do that that are just in the beginning stages of i'm not sure you know i have a kindergartner and this is what i'm seeing so we do provide that consultation piece in terms of you know, this is a, an action plan, you know, these are your next steps. So once you get there, these are other things you can do. So yes, we provide again, it's whatever the family needs. We know that every every family has different needs, and we are happy to accommodate whatever that, that looks like for the family. Awesome. Angelica, thank you.
0: What an awesome service that you're providing. I would encourage my listeners to, you know, consult with you if they feel the need. But thank you for coming on this episode and talking to me about how to advocate for parents and students and how you kind of offer your services to the community. Um, I'm hoping that I can have you on another topic at another time, but thank you for spending time with me this evening.
1: Thank you so much for having me and I would be happy to come back anytime.
0: Absolutely, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Education Redefined. We welcome feedback. Join our Facebook group to leave a comment or a question. We look forward to hearing from you. Until then, stay tuned for our next episode.